On tonight's episode of Panels to Frames, Batman. We all know the story. Bruce Wayne is escorted to a showing of Zorro by his parents, Thomas and Martha Wayne. After the Waynes leave the show, they walk down Crime Alley, where they are killed in cold blood, leaving Bruce alive, motivating him to seek retribution and redemption. It's a classic. It's a good setup for a hero. Everyone knows it. It's gotten to the point that most critics and audiences seem to think that the origin story for Batman no longer needs to be told simply because all the fans and even general audiences at this point know how Batman came to be. With that in mind, you may be surprised to learn that Batman's origin isn't in this film or even alluded to whatsoever. Instead, it goes in a slightly different direction. Hello. And welcome to the third episode of Panels to Frames. In today's episode, we will be discussing the 1943 15-part film serial, Batman. The character was created in 1939 by Bob Kane and Bill Finger for National Comics Publications under the Detective Comics banner. This company would later be known as DC Comics. Batman quickly rose as one of the nation's top-selling comic books, and gained an even stronger following after the creators introduced Robin into his comic. In fact, the comic that introduced Robin sold twice the amount of copies that the previous issue had, as young readers could easily identify with the Boy Wonder. It also meant that Batman's comics could compete with some of the other top-selling comics of the time, such as Captain Marvel, Superman, and Captain America. This led film studio Columbia to option Batman for the big screen. It was Columbia's first comic book superhero film, and they knew what a potential draw Batman could be. Most film serials of the time did not get the marketing budget that a feature film did, but Columbia felt strong enough that they had a hit on their hands that they gave it an unusually strong financial backing for a movie serial although this did affect their shooting budget. The shooting budget was approximately $150,000, and it started production in May 1943 and lasted about a month. Both the budget and production time were on par with most other serials of the time, but still nowhere near the allotted time and budget for a feature film. But combined, the 15 parts of this serial make it about four hours long, and without opening or closing credits, that's just over three and a half hours. The series reportedly suffered from a low budget, which is highlighted by the fact that there's no true Batmobile. Instead, a 1939 Cadillac Series 61 convertible is used. When the top is up, it's the Batmobile, and when the top is down, it's Bruce Wayne's car. And although the role of Batman nowadays is sought out by the biggest stars and the best of actors, the man behind the cow, Lewis Wilson, was just 23 at the time and Batman was his first movie. Many viewers, both past and present, would find it odd that Batman wasn't actually a vigilante crime fighter. In fact, in the movie, he and Robin worked as government agents. This is likely because censors at the time wouldn't allow a hero being seen as a vigilante and taking the law into their own hands. It must also be noted that, for whatever reason, Batman's origin is not explained, nor is Robin's. There is also no mention of Thomas or Martha Wayne, their death, or Wayne Enterprises, which is highly unusual considering how deeply rooted these elements play into the character. The serial also appears to be the first time that the creator of a superhero comic has cameoed in it, as Bob Kane did just about five minutes into the film. And the story goes something like this. Batman and Robin are government agents fighting crime in Gotham City, 
when the mysterious leader of a Japanese crime ring, Dr. Daka, makes plans to steal the city's radium to power his radium gun, which has the power to destroy anything in its path after capturing the uncle of Linda Page, who was Bruce's girlfriend. With Dr. Daka turning Americans into what he calls zombies, Daka sends them and his henchmen to destroy Batman and Robin, who ultimately foil his plans, with some unlikely assists from their butler Alfred. Through an exciting adventure full of traps, disguises, and deception, the dynamic duo thwart the plans of Dr. Daka and save the day once again. Batman proved to be one of, if not the most successful serial ever produced by Columbia, although contemporary and modern critics gave it a lukewarm reception. Many felt that although the story seemed simplistic and straightforward, it became convoluted and had second-rate costumes in action. Many critics say that Batman's costume is ill-fitting and low-quality, possibly the worst to ever be put on the silver screen. Additionally, contemporary critics thought Douglas Croft was too old to play Robin, being 16 at the time of filming when Robin was 12 in the comics at the time. Ironically, Croft is the youngest actor to ever portray Robin on screen. What the serial is probably most remembered for is the amount of firsts that it had and the additions that it made to the Batman lore. For instance, this is the first iteration of the Batcave, or the Bats Cave, as they call it in the movie, and at one point, Batman brings a criminal into the Bat's cave and says that if he doesn't give him the info that he needs, he'll feed him to one of the bats. And how do Batman and Robin get down to the Bat cave? Usually through the grandfather clock, which also made its first appearance here. This was also the first depiction of Alfred, played by William Austin, as a slender man with a mustache looking nothing like his comic book counterpart. Up to this point in the comics, he was drawn as portly and had no facial hair. From this point forward, almost all comics and live-action adaptations of Alfred have been influenced by Austin's look. Linda Page, played by Shirley Patterson, also made her big-screen debut in the serial, which would end up being her last, as she has yet to appear in any other Batman media outside of the comics since then. And even though this movie does feature a lot of firsts for the Batman franchise, there are some notable staples missing, such as the Bat-Signal and Commissioner Gordon, who's replaced with Police Captain Albert. And although Batman does wear his utility belt, it's never used. Perhaps the most interesting thing left out of this movie is the inclusion of Batman's nemesis, the Joker, in favor of Japanese-based villain Dr. Daka. But maybe it wasn't always meant to be that way. There is some evidence to show that the villain of the film was originally intended to be the Joker, but the script was changed at the last second. Some point to the bow tie that Dr. Daka wears as being very similar to the Joker's. And there's also a poster that features the Joker. But unfortunately, concrete evidence of the switch may have been lost in a fire at Columbia Studios. It is assumed that the change was made due to the anti-Japanese sentiment at the time. The only other appearance in any other Batman or DC media Dr. Daka has made was in two comics in 1985. Despite some negative reviews, complaints about the production quality of the serial, and exclusion of Batman's central villain, it was successful enough to entice Columbia to make a sequel in 1949. They replaced all of the principal actors and yet again didn't use any of the villains original to the comics. What must be talked about is the racist depiction of Japanese culture in this film. The serial was made at the height of World War II, 
and some changes were made to it to include anti-Axis and Japanese sentiments. This led filmmakers to insert propaganda into the serial, such as the line, Since a wise government rounded up the shifty-eyed Japs, it has become virtually a ghost street. And Batman himself, calling the main villain, Are you Jap devil? This can squarely be blamed on the era in which it was made, and what was acceptable to put in cinema at the time, and for which all critics and audiences of today can agree, is egregious. In 1965, 22 years after its initial release, interest was reignited in Batman after it was re-released as An Evening with Batman and Robin, with colleges and universities having sold out showings of the serial. This drummed up popularity for Batman again, leading to the creation of the 1966 Batman series starring Adam West. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. Lewis Wilson, who played the titular Batman, had a very quick run in Hollywood, initially lasting only two years and then another three in the 1950s. After his acting career, Wilson worked for General Foods, and when comic conventions started to become popular in the 1970s, a lot of former comic book serial stars were featured there, but not Wilson, who opted to stay away in favor of a regular life. Although, when the Adam West Batman was made, he did show interest in playing a villain on the show, and said of West's Batman, I think I can take him. His son Michael has had a long career producing the James Bond films from the 1970s until the present day. Wilson passed in the year 2000, at the age of 80. Douglas Croft, who played Robin, had a short but memorable acting career. Producers claim Croft to be three years younger than he actually was in order to take on roles meant for younger actors, and appeared in such classics like Yankee Doodle Dandy and as a young Lou Gehrig in The Pride of the Yankees before leaving Hollywood in 1947. Croft died in 1963 due to liver disease and alcohol poisoning at the age of 37. Shirley Patterson, who portrays Linda Page, got her start in beauty pageants in the early 1940s and eventually had roles in dozens of movies and TV shows in the 40s and 50s before leaving Hollywood in 1958. She passed in 1995 at the age of 72. By far the most decorated actor in this movie, or any comic book movie before this and for years to come, was J. Carol Nash, who played Dr. Daka. In fact, the year Batman was released, Nash was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor for his role in Sahara opposite Humphrey Bogart. Overall, Nash was nominated for two Academy Awards and won a Golden Globe as well. Nash also took on many roles of different ethnicities, earning him the nickname of Hollywood's One Man You Win, and worked well into the late 1960s. Nash passed in 1973 at the age of 77. Also of note is actor Tom London, who played a minor role in the film, but has been listed in the Guinness Book of World Records for the most film appearances of all time, coming in at just over 2,000. For all of its obvious flaws and overt racism, for better or worse, Modern superhero films owe a debt, albeit a small one, to the serial. You can trace back the success of the modern Batman films to this one. The success of this serial and its sequel led to the Adam West Batman, which spawned the Tim Burton series in direct opposition and response to it, which changed modern superhero and blockbuster films forever. Ultimately, this isn't really remembered for the content that's in it, it's more memorable for launching Batman onto the big screen and as a piece of trivia as to who played the first caped crusader. Although it does have its moments and contains some exciting parts, 
The bigger contribution that it made was for the overall Batman lore, and for fans, it's an exercise to see how far we've come. On the next episode of Panels to Frames, The Star-Spangled Man.